he was lost and has been found. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Lord Jesus Christ, how wonderful it would have been to have been there and to have heard that story being told. But truthfully, perhaps we might have been one of the ones who were sneering at you and made the story to be told. Help us this morning to hear your voice and to hear it speak to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody knows this story. Is there anybody in the room for whom this was the first time that you ever heard it? I would very much doubt that that would be the case. And of course, it's part of a much longer story. Luke 15 is quite a long chapter. And it starts with a description of how it came to be that Jesus told this story. It started like this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners that's you and me, we were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering and sneering and saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so then it says, and Jesus told them this parable. That's Luke's introduction. Jesus told them this parable. And then he launches into the story that we're familiar with and we know as the parable of the lost sheep. Suppose a man has a hundred sheep. And then he continues, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. And then he continues, there was a man who had two sons. Now in your Bible, those delightful Bible editors who keep mucking up the Bible on us, have probably labelled these the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son, and the parable of the lost coin. <clears throat> but Bible editors often get it wrong. Because Luke was quite clear. Jesus was in a setting where there were people who were sneering at him because he actually loved sinners. And so it says Jesus told them this parable. It's one parable in three parts. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. Well, we don't have time to deal with all three. Well, I've got time. How, how... <laughs> if, however, you are reading my Lenten reflections, stand up those who aren't, no. Um, <clears throat> if you are reading my Lenten reflections, then this Friday we will be reflecting on the parable of the lost sheep, and on Saturday on the parable of the prodigal son. So, you know, we'll, we'll hear about it then. But this morning, just the prodigal son. It's a very familiar story. <clears throat> there was a, an American scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey. Now, Kenneth Bailey was an interesting man. He spent 40 years 
wandering through the Middle East. He travelled for 40 years in Syria, Amman, Jordan, Palestine, Israel, Egypt. And all he did for those 40 years was to go from village to village and talk to people. He was a languages scholar. He could speak a vast range of local dialects as well as many ancient languages, old Syriac, Arabic, of course. And, and um, he would go to a village and, and he would ask them questions about things related to what was in the Gospels. For example, he'd say, look, um, if somebody came to your house late at night and you weren't expecting them and you didn't have any food in the cupboard, what would you do? Or if that person had come to your house and you had no food and you went and knocked on a neighbour's door and said, hey, quick, give me a couple of loaves of bread, I've got guests to arrive, what would happen? And all through the Middle East he kept building up this store of knowledge of what it was like to live there. What was the culture? And his books are fascinating to read. I, I urge you to get some Kenneth Bailey books and to, to, to read his stories of life in the Middle East and understand the parables in, the, in their Middle Eastern first century setting. And so when Bailey goes to a village and says, look... <clears throat> What, what would happen if a son went to his father and said, hey, Dad, I'd like my share of the inheritance? What would the father do? The answer was swift. Well, the father would beat him. Well, suppose the father didn't beat him. Suppose for some reason he was a kind and gentle person and didn't beat him. But what would happen then? Well, his brothers would beat him. Well, say the brothers didn't beat him for whatever reason what would happen then well the village elders would beat him because this is a tremendous insult what does it mean if you, if your son comes home and says he wants his share of the family inheritance would ask bailey and the answer came back time and time again well it means that he wants his father dead he is really saying dad you are worth more to me dead and alive and since you refuse to die would you please just give me my inheritance now because I'm sick and tired of you? That's what the story means. And when Jesus', Jesus audience heard this, that's what they heard. We in our 21st century Western manner don't hear that. But to read this story and get the sense of it, that's what we have to hear. He wants his father dead. And so the son gets his inheritance, the father grants it. In fact, it says that he divides his inheritance between the two sons, the younger son and the older one. This gives us a little insight into perhaps why the older son didn't beat him when he came up with this idea because he thought, hello, there's something in this for me. I don't have to leave home and run all the risks and all the social opprobrium. I can just stay quiet and get all the cash. He was the devious one. And then the son says, all right, well, I need to get out of here, so I need cash. And so he needs to turn all the assets into, into liquid assets. Well, the only way to do that, of course, is to sell them. And so Bailey would walk around the Middle East and say, well, what happens when you buy a block of land? Or how do you sell land? What happens? Well, it's not an easy process. It's not like today where you just go online and look at some pictures and maybe even buy a, a house off the plan or something... Plenty of people buy houses they've never seen. But in the Middle East, it's not like that. 
In the Middle East, you, you, you don't just buy a piece of land, you buy the stories that come with it. And so when you go to bargain over land, you, you go with the owner and you walk around the property. And as you walk around, you hear the stories being told. Well, you, you, you see that tree over there? Well, when my great-great-grandfather Simeon planted that tree, he planted it there because that was the day that he, that he got engaged to my great-great-grandmother Rachel. And see that rock over there? Well, that rock was placed over the grave of my great-great-grandfather's third son who died in a terrible accident. And so the stories go on. There are no fences to mark the property, but you hear the stories. So when you buy the land, you don't just see it as something you use to make some money out of. You are buying into the community, you are buying into the heritage. So when you sell land, you are selling the community heritage. And so the village elders will get into this act as well. Before this land could ever properly be sorted out and sold, you would have to go and talk to the village elders and they'd say, hmm, who are you? Tell us your story. Who was your father? Where do you come from? So it's a long and complex process. But that doesn't suit this lad. He needs the money fast because he's off on an adventure tour. Contiki is calling. And so he has to sell his, his share of the property in a fire sale. Jesus here has understood this. We need it explained to us. But all of this just came with the story for Jesus' audience. So probably nobody in the village would have bought the land. They had too much respect for the old man to buy this property that the son grabbed, wishing that his father would buy that league. You've got to be joking. That would be an insult. I could never look at old Simeon again. So very likely the land was sold to an outsider. But Jesus doesn't say that, but all the audience are sort of processing this. Just like when we watch BBC shows, we, we read all those little understories that run in behind it. And having done that, the son has now, of course, betrayed the community terribly. He's insulted his father. He's insulted the community, perhaps by selling the land off either too cheaply or to somebody from outside. And now he goes away and Jesus is very careful to tell us that when he gets to this other place, it's a place far off, it's a foreign country, he squanders his money with dissolute living. And so now he's committed a third major sin because the money that he got for the land and the goods and the cattle and the sheep and whatever else was Israelite money. That belonged to our community. We're all part of this family. He's squandered it over here. So not only has he insulted his father, not only has he insulted the community, the national property, the national heritage has been squandered amongst foreigners. The Gentiles have got Israel's heritage. No wonder this kid's in trouble. <clears throat> and so Bailey says to villages up and down the Middle East, what would happen? And they said, well, that's easy. When the son did this, 
the village elders would come together and they would announce what is called a kazaza ceremony. That is to say that they would get a clay pot, just an ordinary red-orange clay pot, and with all the village gathered around, they would hold this pot up and say, we are attaching to this pot the name of the son who has done these things. And they would smash the pot with a stick and shards would be all over the ground. Then they would say, if ever this man returns to this village, he shall be even as the pot is now. And so the, the enactment of that would be that if the son ever did come back, then the entire village would line up in a long gauntlet line. Peace, people on either side on the, of the main road and the son would have to walk through this line and they would beat him with sticks and stones and kick him and spit upon him. There are well-documented stories of this happening in our lifetime, still in the Middle East. This is not just an ancient ceremony. It's still happening in small villages across the Middle East. And in our lifetime, it is known that people have died in just such an enactment of Kazaza ceremonies. So the people who are listening to Jesus' story know this well. They know what will happen. This kid is in serious trouble if he ever tries to come back. Well, we know the story. The son goes away, wastes his money, discovers that his only friends are really Facebook friends. And he comes to his senses. We would like to say that he repents, but although we might have thought that as we've heard this story before, as we read it more carefully, we realise that he doesn't actually repent at all. He comes to his senses, says Jesus, and says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? I'm starving to death. I'll go back and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. Well, that sounds like repentance, doesn't it? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That sounds like repentance. Make me like one of your hired men. So now we start to understand that this son hasn't repented at all. He's already committed the grave sin of saying to his father, you'd be a lot more used to me, quite frankly, if you were dead. Now he says to the father, I actually don't want to come back home and apologise to you as my father and ask you to forgive me as your son. What I'm asking you to do is to give me a job. I want to earn cash. Because as he was sitting there in the foreign country, he thought, I'm starving. There are people as hired hands on my father's farm and they're doing better than I am. So I won't go back and become a son again. I'll go back and become a hired hand. But will my father hire me? Yes, of course he will. He loves me. I'll trade on the love. I'll cash in on the relationship. But all I want is a job. This son was a long way from repentance. And so he sets off with his prepared speech ready. And the father sees him. Now, I don't know how he saw him. We, we've probably seen pictures in our Sunday school books of the father living up on a hill with a high house looking up. I'm not sure that it was like that. It's more likely that the father sent word around all the 
villages and fields and servants, whatever, because in the Middle East, there are always people working out in the fields. If you drive or travel, and I've, I've travelled widely around Israel and Turkey, and you, you go along a dirt road in the back hills of Turkey somewhere, and all of a sudden there's a little shepherd with 15 sheep, a few goats. And so no doubt the father has got messages out there saying, look, if you see my son coming, drop everything, run, get the message to me. First one to come back with a message that my son's on his way will be handsomely rewarded. Now, we don't know that. I'm putting that into the story, but it fits with the context of the story. But in any event, however the father sees him, he sees his son coming and so he runs. He runs to him. Now, again, and you've probably heard of this, but in the Middle East, older men do not run. They're stately. The older you are, the more dignified you are, the slower you walk. And furthermore, you have long robes, which prevent you from running. Servants run. Even older servants can run if the master calls them. That's why they wear these short skirty things that they can run around in. Soldiers show their legs. Servants show their legs. Old men don't. But this man has to hoist up his long robe, tie the rope, whatever it is that he has around his, his, his waist to keep his robe up there. Don't you love that delightful phrase, girding up your loins, and that's where it comes from because you put the girdle, the rope, the belt or whatever around this, this robe that you've done, and, <clears throat> and he runs. So I'll tell you a story. <clears throat> a, a, a friend of mine, Michael Ramsden, who is an evangelist for the Ravi Zacharias Institute, um, told us this story some years ago. He grew up in the Middle East, um, and his father was a spook. He worked for MI5. And so they, they were stationed all around the Middle East, and, and he has lots of funny stories to tell about this. But this particular one, they were in Cairo at the time, and it was coming up to Christmas. The US ambassador was getting the embassy grounds all set up for Christmas with lovely Christmas lights. And so he had all of his Egyptian servants out there in the grounds trying to hang up these lights. And of course, they'd never hung up Christmas lights before in their life. They didn't know what they were doing. And the ambassador is out there saying, all right, I want you guys, I should be getting you to do this, Mark. Where are you, Mark? Somewhere in the shirt, yeah. All right, you guys, you can't do it like that. No, 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 don't do it like that. And, and finally, he got so frustrated, he went inside, changed out of his suit, put on a pair of shorts and an old shirt, came out and hung the lights up himself. And that afternoon, he got a visit from the Egyptian high commissioner or whatever they're called over there, came in for a meeting with the ambassador. The ambassador welcomed him in and said, yes, Mr. High Commissioner, what can I do for you? And the high commissioner said, look... Um, Mr. Ambassador, I, I'm sorry, but I, I have a very serious question to ask you. Yes, ask away. Well, this is embarrassing, but the people that I pay in your household to keep me informed about what's going on you see, he's just blown his entire spy network. The Egyptian High Commissioner had paid a whole lot of servants in the US Ambassador's house to keep him informed of what was going on. But he said, 
the people that I pay to keep me informed about what happens in your embassy have told me a story that I can't believe. And what's the point of having paid servants if you can't believe the information they give you? So I had to come and ask you myself. Well, he said, what's the question? He said, my informers have told me that you came out this morning in shorts above your knees while there were servants around and you climbed a tree. Please tell me this, this is not true. You see, there's a modern story which shows just how deep this practice is engaged in the Middle East. I see a few people in shorts and knees around the place. You know, it couldn't happen in the Middle East. It just couldn't happen. So much so that in, in the Syriac tradition and, the, and in the Syriac Gospels, this parable is not known as the parable of the prodigal son. It's known as the parable of the running father. Because that's the part of the story that the Middle Easterners find so fascinating. We find the story of a son who returns and was forgiven fascinating. They are astonished by the fact that a father would run. And so the son comes back. He's got his speech prepared. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't get that far. As Jesus tells the story, the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't allow him to say the next sentence, make me one of your hired men. The father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. What's the best robe? Well, of course, that's one of the father's robes. That's his special ceremonial robe. He probably only owns three or four. But the best robe is the one that he will wear on special occasions. Bring the ring and put it on his finger, the family signet ring. And bring sandals and put them on his feet. Now, the servants, again, in the local culture, will have been sitting back watching all of this, saying, well, how do we treat this son? You know, we, we thought we had to throw sticks at him. But the father says, no, no, servants, get sandals and put them on his feet. And you know, because we've watched Middle Eastern things happening on television, that feet are the worst thing about people. Shoes are something you never touch. And so the servants have to come and put sandals on the man's feet, on the son's feet. That says, your servants... He's the father's son. They know now that this son has been restored. Meantime, of course, the village has heard that the son's coming and they're lined up all the way up the main street. They've got their sticks, they've got their stones. They're not letting this kid get through. But the son is now wearing the father's robe and wearing the father's ring and with the father's sandals on his feet and with the father's arm around his shoulder, they walk up the main street of the village. Nobody throws a stone. Nobody wields a stick. Because this wayward son has come under the protective arm of the father.
He has been made a son again. He has been brought back into the household again. Well, of course, you know the story. The elder son refuses to come in. He's been out in the fields because he likes making money. And he refuses to come into the house where there's celebration and joy. And so the father sends a messenger out. Come in, come in. No, he won't. So the father comes out himself. This father knows nothing but how to get embarrassed. No father in the Middle East would come out to plead with a son to come inside to his party where they've killed the fatted calf. Not a fatted sheep, not a fatted goat, a fatted calf. A calf will be enough to feed 70 to 100 people. That's the entire village. The entire village, that's the subtext that, again, Jesus is here as new, are at this party. And the son, the elder son now, is insulting the father. So the father comes out to him and says, son, everything I have is yours. Well, that's true. He had to give it to him earlier on when the other son left. And the elder son just says, look, I've treated you like my employer for the last 40 years. That's what he says, wasn't it? For the last ever how long I have served you. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He doesn't say for the last 20 years I've been your son and you've been my father. He identifies himself as a servant, as a hired man. And the story ends. Jesus doesn't have an ending. This is one of these pick-your-own-character parables. Jesus knows that the whole audience is sitting, waiting for the conclusion. Does the elder son get beaten? Jesus just leaves the whole thing up in the air. Which character are you going to be? Are you going to be the high-minded, religious sort who don't like sinners and would prefer that the church was neat and clean and tidy? Are you going to be the smug, self-satisfied Christian who knows how we do things? This is the way it's been done all my life. Don't try and change it. Will you be just the rescued sinner who's delighted and pleased that at last... I've been, I've been welcomed home. Or perhaps you're still the lost sinner, the lost son. He's gone away and hasn't come back yet. Well, we're all invited to the Father's feast. It'll be spread up here in just a minute. And you've got about five minutes to decide which character you'll choose. For whichever one, you'll be welcome to the table. Sinner lost, found, all are welcome, this just time. Amen.